Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. This is the eighth topic in the lessons episodes. This topic is judgment. It appears that everyone judges. Some will say that they are not judgmental, yet will offer their opinions and input without even considering that it is in fact judgment. We confuse ourselves further by thinking there is good judgment and bad judgment, that we can decide what we think about a person or thing if it relinquishes us from doing something wrong or accepting someone else's error. Then that is a good judgment and different from bad. Bad judgment we see as errors and negativity towards others. Judgment of any kind is not necessary, nor is it truly possible. What are you judging but illusions? Par- um, the Manual for Teachers so that's the back section if you have the um, only complete edition of A Course in Miracles, the um, combined volume. So in the Manual for Teachers on page 27, there's a section called How is Judgment Relinquished? Paragraph 1 says judgment, like other devices by which the world of illusions is maintained, is totally misunderstood by this world. It is actually confused with wisdom and substitutes for truth. As the world uses the term, an individual is capable of good and bad judgment, and his education aims at strengthening the former and minimizing the latter. There is, however, considerable confusion about what these categories mean. What is good judgment to one is bad judgment to another. Further, even the same person classifies the same action as showing good judgment at one time and bad judgment at another time. Nor can any consistent criteria for determining determining what these categories are be really taught. At any time, the student may disagree with what his would-be teacher says about them, and the teacher himself may well be inconsistent with what he believes. Good judgment in these terms does not mean anything. No more does bad. Paragraph 2 says, It is necessary for the teacher of God to realize not that he should not judge, but that he cannot. In giving up judgment, he is merely giving up what he did not have. He gives up an illusion, or better, he has an illusion of giving up. He has actually merely become more honest, recognizing that judgment was always impossible for him. He no longer attempts it. This is no sacrifice. On the contrary, he puts himself in a position where judgment through him rather than by him can occur. And this judgment is neither good nor bad. It is the only judgment there is, and it is the only one God's Son is guiltless and sin does not exist. Paragraph 3 says the aim of our curriculum, unlike the goal of the world's learning, is the recognition that judgment is the unusual, in the usual sense, is impossible. This is not an opinion, but a fact. In order to judge anything rightly, one would have to be fully aware of an inconceivably wide range of things, past, present, and to come. One would have to recognize in advance all the as- all the effects of his judgments on everyone and everything involved in them in any way. And one would have to be certain there is no distortion in his perception so that his judgment would be wholly fair to everyone in whom it rests now and in the future. Who is in a position to do this? Who except in grandiose fantasies, would claim this for himself.
Paragraph four says, remember how many times you thought you knew all the facts you needed for judgment and how wrong you were? Is there anyone who has not had this experience? Would you know how many times you merely thought you were right without ever realizing that you were wrong? Why would you choose such an arbitrary basis for decision-making? Wisdom is not judgment. It is the relinquishment of judgment. Make then but one more judgment. It is this. There is someone with you whose judgment is perfect. He does, he does know all the facts, past, present, and to come. He does know all the effects of his judgment on everyone and everything involved in any way. And he is wholly fair to everyone, for there is no distortion in his perception. Paragraph 5 says, Therefore lay judgment down, not with regret, but with a sigh of gratitude. Now you are free of a burden so great that you could merely stagger and fall down beneath it. And... It was all illusion, nothing more. Now can the teacher of God rise up unburdened and walk lightly on. Yet it is not only that this that is his benefit, his sense of care is gone, for he has none. He has given it away along with judgment. Paragraph 6 says, It is not difficult to relinquish judgment, but it is difficult indeed to try to keep it. The teacher of God lays it down happily the instant he recognizes its cost. All of the ugliness he sees about him is its outcome. All of the pain he looks upon is its result. All of the loneliness and sense of loss, of passing time and growing hopelessness, of sickening despair and fear of death, all these have come out of it. And now he knows that these things need not be. Not one is true. In the original text, in chapter 3, The Innocent Perception, there on page 46, there's a section called Judgment versus the Authority Problem. And it also goes into explaining judgment quite well. I, what did I say? Okay, so in paragraph 1, sentence 4 says, When the Bible says, Judge not that ye be not judged. It means that if you judge the reality of others, you will be unable to avoid judging your own. Paragraph 2 says, The choice to judge rather than to know is the cause of the loss of peace. Judgment is the process on which perception but not knowledge rests. I have discussed this before in terms of the selectivity of perception, pointing out that evaluation is its obvious prerequisite. Judgment always re involves rejection. It never emphasizes only the positive aspects of what is judged, whether, next page, if you have this book, page 47, whether in you or in others. What has been perceived and rejected or judged and found wanting remains in your mind because it, is, it has been perceived. One of the illusions from which you suffer is the belief that what you judged against has no effect. This cannot be true unless you also believe that what you judged against does not exist. You evidently do not believe this, or you would not have judged against it. In the end, it does not matter whether your judgment is right or wrong. Either way, you are placing your belief in the unreal. This cannot be avoided in any type of judgment because it implies the belief that reality is yours to select from. 
Paragraph three says, you have no idea of the tremendous release and deep peace that comes from meeting yourself and your brothers totally without judgment. When you recognize what you are and what your brothers are, you will realize that judging them in any way is without meaning. In fact, their meaning is lost to you precisely because you are judging them. All uncertainty comes from the belief that you are under the coercion of judgment. You do not need judgment to organize your life, and you certainly do not need it to organize yourself. In the presence of knowledge, all judgment is automatically suspended, and this is the process that enables recognition to replace perception. Paragraph 5 says, when you are tired, it is because you have judged yourself as capable of being tired. When you laugh at someone, it is because you have judged him as unworthy. When you laugh at yourself, you must laugh at others, if only because you cannot tolerate the idea of being more unworthy than they are. All this makes you feel tired because it is essentially disheartening. You are not really capable of being tired, but you are very capable of wearying yourself. The strain of constant judgment is virtually intolerable. It is curious that an ability so debilitating would be so deeply cherished. Yet if you wish to be the author of your reality, you will insist on holding on to judgment. You will also regard judgment with fear, believing that it will someday be used against next page 48 you this belief can exist only to the extent that you believe in the efficacy of judgment as a weapon of defense for your own authority um, in the further along in the workbook for students there is a section that says what is the last judgment so I think this sort of helps to clarify that belief that when we pass from this life that there's judgment of some kind that's coming our way and it this section addresses that so let me just find page 55 there it is so this is in the workbook for students I'm going to start on paragraph two. It says the final judgment on the world contains no condemnation for it sees the world as totally forgiven and without sin and wholly purposeless without a cause. And now without a function in Christ's sight, it merely slips away to nothingness there. It was born and there it ends as well. And all of the figures in the dream in which the world began go with it. Bodies now are useless and will therefore fade away because the son of God is limitless. You who believe that God's last judgment will condemn the world to hell along with you, accept this whole holy truth. God's judgment is the gift of the correction he bestowed on all your errors, free, freeing you from them and all effects they have seemed to have. To fear God's saving grace is but to fear complete release from suffering. Return to peace, security, and happiness, and union with your own identity. Paragraph 4 says, God's final judgment is as merciful as every step in his appointed plan to bless his son and call him to return to the eternal he shares with him. Be not afraid of love, for it alone can heal all sorrow, wipe away all tears, and gently waken from his dream of pain the son whom God acknowledges as his. Be not afraid of this. Salvation asks you give it welcome. 
and the world awaits your glad acceptance, which will set it free. And the last paragraph says, God, this is God's final judgment. You are still my holy son, forever innocent, forever loving, and forever loved. As limitless as your creator and completely changeless and forever pure. Therefore, awaken and return to me. I am your father and you are my son. On the next page, on page 456, I'd read the two lessons that go with that. Um, lesson 311 and lesson 312. And I'm going to uh, read them to you because I think they're, um, they tie into this nicely. It starts with says, I judge all things as I would have them be. Judgment was made to be a weapon used against the truth. It separates what is be what is being used against and sets it off as if it were a thing apart. And then it makes of it what you would have it be. It judges what it cannot understand because it cannot see totality and therefore judges falsely. Let us not use it today, but make a gift of it to him who has a different use for it. He will relieve us of the agony of all the judgments we have made against ourselves and reestablish peace of mind by giving us God's judgment of his son. And lesson 312, it says, I see all things as I would have them be. Perception follows judgment. Having judged, we therefore see what we would look upon. For sight can merely serve to offer us what we would have. It is impossible to overlook what we would see and fail to see what we have chosen to behold. <laughs> How surely, therefore, must the real world come to greet the holy sight of anyone who takes the Holy Spirit's purpose as his goal for seeing. And he cannot fail to look upon what Christ would have him see and share Christ's love for what he looks upon. That's the end of the lesson. It's interesting as I'm reading this out, I, I will clarify that a little bit more. As I'm reading this out, I remember at the beginning of this book, it said, do not read the workbook for students until you read the original text. And I think if you haven't, if you're listening to me and you've never read the original text, that probably made little sense to you. Um, these lessons ask that you hand over your judgment to the only one capable of judgment and capable of relinquishing it. And that's the Holy Spirit. It is with her constant guidance that we can let go of our need and desire to judge others. So tomorrow, start your day with a declaration of what you want it to be and what it's what you want it to look like. Pay attention to your thoughts. They are your thoughts. You control them. The Holy Spirit is here to help. Let her do what she is meant to do. Ask the questions. Ask for assistance and ask for her help. Continue to sit or stand quietly on your own. Breathe in and out. Listen to your breaths. Then start listening to the sounds around you. If you have difficulty doing this, then start to name what you see. This will help to focus your mind on what you are seeing right now. In the now. Help control your thoughts and keep them focused on what is happening right now. Living right now is living in the holy instant. As you continue to evaluate your attachments and special relationships, ask yourself, what is it for? What is its purpose in your life's journey? Every human being is on their own journey. It's our faith in believing this and accepting it as our truth that shifts our perception and releases us from attachment. Forgiveness starts by letting go of the past. 
when you review your thoughts, write down what the main themes are. Whatever the theme is, ask yourself one question in relation to it. Ask yourself, what is it for? If you can't find an answer, then it must not be as important as you imagined it to be. Why are you trying to relive or review your past? It's not coming back. And more importantly, it is not happening right now. And for those of you who are living in the future, (laughs) worrying about what's to come, you are equally distracted. We have no way of knowing what the future holds. And it's as dangerous as living in the past. There is no peace and joy found in any of those thoughts. As we talked about last week, fear does not exist. It is only real to you. You created it and you can undo it. Love is the opposite of fear. If you fear something or someone, then it stems from a lack of love. The Course suggests that the only correction for fear is love. It asks that you do not look for for the root of the fear or try to evaluate why it exists. Delving further into fear is just reinforcing its existence and power. Judgment is a choice. You can choose simply not to do it. There is no good or bad judgment. Both have equal inequities and drawbacks. The answer is to not judge, but rather accept things as they are. Not good, not bad. It is what it is. The burden has been lifted and the freedom to enjoy your brothers and sisters has been given to you by you. Embrace the gift. Next week, I will talk about death and what it means to us as humans. The Course consistently says we do not die, that death is a concept of this world and is non-existent in reality. Until next week, remember, this is our journey. Let's keep finding our way. Have a love-filled week. Love always. Denise.